This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. It's Amandi. Somewhere in the foothills of Far Norian, there's a light. There's a light over at the Frankenstein place. There's a... Wait, that's the wrong genre. Welcome back to Light the Beacons. The only Lotro podcast that dares to say, Hi-ho, Mithril! Away! This is episode number 97, and I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, battle-ready once again, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ. That's like the Beacon's Middle-Earth-wide headquarters for the uninitiated viewers out there. You know you're not viewers. I am currently standing in the tomb of Elendil, not a place I get a chance to uh, visit too frequently. It's um, kind of a limited edition instance. I've talked about it in the podcast before, something they should have made into an actual instance a long time ago since everything is there, styled exactly like a regular instance, and it would merit repeat plays, not just from the reflecting pool. But no, they don't listen to me. Uh, anyway, I'm here alone. So here I am on the legendary server, Anor, with my captain, who's level 44. And I finished the entire quest line in Even Dim and Anuminous, leaving only the Tomb of Lendl behind, waiting for a group to be called. And I've heard groups called fairly frequently for the Tomb of Lendl. was never the right timing for me. Never had, like, you know, the... At least half hour set aside. You know, with a group of six, you're gonna you're gonna pummel your way through here pretty quickly. Um, I think if I really took my time and was careful right now at level 44, I might be able to survive it even as a single. But a couple levels and you you should be able to solo it. Uh, eh, well, the last fight could be tough. I don't know. It's been a long time. I've soloed it with Bragg, obviously, but I don't remember what level I was when I did it. So, uh, the Tomb of Elendil is a huge structure, and it's kind of sitting out there wasted most of the time. I've got villainous tomb robbers climbing back and forth down these uh, staircases ahead to the right and to the left. Giant pillared hallway uh, with multiple kind of archways leading into the distance. Tomb robbers everywhere. A couple bright lit braziers. Braziers, sorry. Uh, we're not burning bras here. This is not like a Lotro feminist lip thing or anything. And, uh, you know, the stonework is massive. It's all kind of a, you know, a gentle beige, ochreish, earthy tone uh, with blue hallways in the distance. So I think I'm going to make a suicide run. I'm going to see how far I can get into the instance. 
Uh, yep, here I go. Running past the stairwell. I uh, timed the pathers perfectly so that... Uh-oh, they're after me now. And there's three grave tomb robbers. I believe my... Uh, my herald got left behind. Okay, now there's rooms off to the right and to the left. I think if I run forward... Is this where the ceiling collapses? No. Uh, okay, it's Statue of Elendil. Found the big throne room. There's some dialogue going on. All kinds of tomb robbers. Yeah, I'm going to have to cut right here. How many do I have chasing me? Looks like 15, 16. I better put on the um, turbo boosters and the heels. So far, penetrated pretty far. <laughs> Okay, I got about 25 guys chasing me now. What else can I use? Time of need. I'll do a little withdraw. Uh, plant a banner behind me. Another heal. Get rid of that bleed. Okay, I have about 35 guys after me now. Hit an Athlas potion. Uh, what else will help? Wrath of the Firstborn. Not really. Stun those guys. Oh, no. I've run into a dead end, and here come the dudes. They're right on my tail. <laughs> I took a right-hand turn right before I ran into the lot of them. Oh, the big stairwell. Okay, I'm in the room with all the water in it at the bottom level. And uh, I think my escapade is going to come to an end here shortly. Uh, I've made it to the far side of the room. Oh, I've got a good 40, guys. <laughs> After me on the mini-map. Oh, now 50. One more heal, and I can make it into this passageway. <laughs> it's the ranged mobs that are getting me. The other guys are slow. Uh-oh, the crawler hallway. This is it. I'm going to be done. Stun him. Maybe I'll get through. Oh, I am just about out of it. Oh, another heal. He gets off another heal. I'm in the room with the Kurgrim. Oh, there's stuff dropping out of the ceiling. This is going to be all she wrote. Running into a five Kurgrim on top of the 52 guys I passed, and I'm dead. <laughs> that was a great death run. Oh, you should see the mini mob. Looks like, looks like a giant. They don't even know where to run to. They're, like, scrambling into the corners. They're, like, running into paths. They're like, how do we get back from here? I've never run this far in my life. Uh, let's just go in circles with the little... Uh, question marks over our heads until we get ported there. Okay, that was fun. I made it uh, all the way through the Kurgrim Junction. You forget how big of an instance this is. It really does take a while. And, uh, oh, back in, let me see it, near the crossroads in between Osferod and Tenuter. That's not where I want to be. We're going to port over to Hare, where that character has been, uh, Hanging out, but you'll hear more about that after I talk about what I've been doing in Lotro this week. That was a fun little way to start the podcast, episode number 97. Right now, we better move on to our next beacon. Ilenoch, we are at the review of our agenda for once. We got a first deal with a lot of CRAP. I know it's different. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we offended pit howlers, bergs, minis, bjornings, and dwarven pronunciation experts. And to everyone else that was offended or, or maybe misinformed, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments. 
let's uh, go ahead and check that leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by Pond Bear on August 14th of 2018, and he still has our high score. As always, if you want to join this paucity of reviewers, then you can just leave me a multi-star review on iTunes, or alternatively, if you should so choose, you can climb to the top of the Redhorn Pass of Caracas with a Moore's Cowbell and translate your feedback into Morse code that will echo down the mountainside to all the ridge racers that uh, be afoot in, in a region, and they will bring me these messages forthwith. Viewer feedback. Agree to disagree. Um, hey, you guys know you're not viewers, so... Uh, Tommy York of York, medieval barber, wrote in, said, answering the call out, still listening, just not too much to comment on recently. My time in game has lessened as soon as I reached 120 and a few characters, not being interested in the end game gear, essence grind, or any of the current rewards that don't impact my character statistically, such as pets, cosmetics, mounts, titles, housing items, etc. Most of my characters fall dormant at level cap. Here's to hoping the producer's letter contains something interesting. We'll talk about that in a little bit, as I'm not feeling real compelled to continue questing. There's nothing for my character to look forward to by way of progression. While I've already capped all my legacies, that's a good tip about running school library at level 112 for scrolls. Uh, that's a tip that only works when the featured instance is one of the shorter three-mans, basically. Uh, you can basically under-level it and run it uh, as a solo to generate a few scrolls, perhaps faster than running the Ministerith dailies. And a bit more about empowerment scrolls as we proceed in the podcast. Uh, from Twitter this week, I wanted to mention a nice article by Contains Moderate Apparel about the difficult choices uh, one reaches at level 65 between entering Mirkwood, going through Enidwaith, or alternatively going to see the Great River after emerging from the Gloria that is Moria. Yeah, uh, multiple pathways, and obviously this is a boon for folks that like to alt in Lotro so they can mix things up. Uh, generally speaking, I'd like to run at least the Epic through Mirkwood because it opens up, gosh, one, two, three, four, five skirmishes, which is pretty nice. And uh, also leads to the Rift of Ner's Gashu as well. I think you have to complete um, or start the In Their Absence quest line in order to get that. So, so that's kind of a natural one. But, you know, as far as the three zones, I, I think Enidwaith is one of the most beautiful zones in the game. And Great River was a really good expansion. Had a little bit of everything. Had an interesting storyline. Um, you know, it's got uh, some interesting locations in the game that are kind of unique. And, uh, yeah, I you know, what I end up doing typically is kind of flitting between the zones a bit. Doing the epic and a little bit in each zone. And uh, I'd like to just... Um, get into a zone and complete all the quests in that zone to get some of the ones I don't get to typically because they're at the end of the sequence and uh, see those story points again. So uh, that's a nice article that was written by Contains Moderate Peril. It's nice to have choices, uh, which is the upshot of that. And uh, I think his, uh, in the end, his his uh, conclusion was um, whichever zone is doing the less, the least amount of fetch, FedEx questing, sending me back and forth to different locations to aggravate me, is the one that I'll go to. Uh, community Spotlight, I did want to note, Lotro Players seems to be coming up on awful quick on episode number 300. 
And the Lotro Beacon is coming up on episode number 100. Yes, they started after me, They, but they don't do ads or song parodies, and they don't have to deal with Grima as their production assistant. Right, Grima? Um, so, although they are not the first Beacon, at least they've been regular on their publishings. Uh, a couple milestones coming up around the community. From the forums, there's been some reactions to some dev postings that seem to indicate that they are looking at mitigating some of the more powerful oh crap skills in the game due to the fact that when used in conjunction with other skills and buffs and groups, they can be OP and kind of make it very difficult or even impossible to balance instance challenges. So it seems to me the smarter solution, instead of nerfing all the players who like their oh crap skills, is since it's generally something that makes them uh, unique or special as a class would be to uh, figure out a way to put diminishing returns when some of those things are stacked. So if there are multiple buffs, debuffs incoming out of mob, there's some kind of uh, diminishing returns when the third or fourth buff is placed on him that lowers his physical mitigations or which uh, lowers his damage output or whatever the case may be. Uh, I agree, though, that testing for this would be very difficult, looking at all the different combinations of buffs, debuffs uh, from all the different classes that can be leveraged in a group fight, which is, uh, you know, why it's so difficult to do this correctly and get it right, something that people have been complaining about, and I'll talk a little bit later in the podcast. So in this week's Action Packed episode, we're going to talk a little about, about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. We're going to review my top 10 favorite quests in one of my favorite Lotro regions. At long last, we're going to discuss the producer's letter for 2019. And if there is any time remaining, we'll probably start over at the beginning. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving on to the third beacon, which is Nardal. Grandma, pass me that ale, will you? Mm. Yummy. Yeah, this week in gaming and or other Tokyo news, uh, have been playing a little bit of Star Trek Online. Matter of fact, it was in the game this morning when they were doing the update to uh, Lotro servers. Jumped in and did some patching, which consumed most of the time I would have taken to play. And uh, found a quest that seemed to be the appropriate level for me. And it talked about the fact that it was in the something like the Gundalorden Core was the name of the system. And I read the quest three times, Gondolin and Core. Go to the Gondolin and Core, go to the Gondolin and Core. Okay, that's all the clues I have. So I open up my map, I open up my system list, no Gondolin Core listed anywhere. And I'm looking around and I'm trying to change into different instances. I'm scanning through the map and I can't find it and I can't find it. And I go back and I look at the quest. Are there any other clues how to get to this place? I have no idea where it is. I could sail around in circles, but that's not a good plan. No, I've got to go look uh, at the Star Trek Online wiki <laughs> to find out that it's actually in the Narendra sector. So <laughs> is there any reason the quest can't say in the Narendra sector? So that I don't have to look it up in the wiki to figure out where the heck I'm going? That seems really, really wrong. So either I'm missing something about navigation in Star Trek Online that would allow me to discern 
that that's where the Narendra, you know, that that's where that core is. It's in the Narendra sector. You know, maybe there's a way to ask my science officer or, um, you know, have the computer spit out a course based on just typing in the Gondolordian core or whatever the case may be. But couldn't they just put it in the quest text? <laughs> Why do I have to look it up outside the game to figure out how to get there? Oh, and by the way, I had to had to switch over to the beta quadrant to find that, which was uh, something else I wouldn't have found out without the Wookiee. So, uh, uh, did I say Wookiee? You know, it, wouldn't it be terrible if uh, the information database was just a Wookiee going, It's not very helpful. I don't like coming to this page. All right. I'm getting a little silly already. It must be late. I must have had a few too many of these ales. Check the Wookiee. So Star Trek Online. Um, You know, I guess that just comes with familiarity with the game, which means I've got to play more if I want to get good at it. Uh, What else have I been playing? A little bit more about Spider-Man for the PS4. About 60% through the story now. Uh, The cutscenes for the central story are so fun. Uh, but sometimes I just want to swing around the city and fight crime wherever it pops up. Um, can have a, a good time just doing that. So, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of stretching it out at this point. I'm not plunging my way through the main storyline because I'm trying to make it last and trying to get uh, my powers up and my suits up and all the different special abilities up a bit more so that I don't reach a point where I have a gear check uh, in the epic storyline that it's kind of organic as I reach there. Uh, what else? More games are coming, but that's all I've been playing lately, plus a whole lot of Lotro, thanks to our little Ill Omens event. I'll talk about that later. From a movies and TV perspective, I did see The Lego Movie 2. I did not love it as much as some people I've heard out there reviewing it, but it was very good. It was consistently entertaining, and there were a good number of chuckles in there, and, uh... Yeah, fun way to spend a couple hours. You know, visually they do great. They have good voices. Uh, it's a win. Uh, Batman continues to be the, my favorite part of that. But uh, that's be that as it may. Also, did get a chance to see Green Book just days before it took home the Oscar for Best Picture. It's been interesting. Uh, you know, in the wake of its win, I've read a lot of articles about people being upset that it beat out movies like Black Klansman and Black Panther. Although it is about racial inequality, it's done so, according to these articles, from a whitewashed perspective, from the white man's perspective, as opposed to uh, the African-American perspective. And uh, that lessens it in a lot of critics' eyes. They don't think it's edgy enough or, um, you know, they're tired of us telling a happy story where in the end the, uh, you know, the white character and the black character learn a bit about each other and hug, right? They want something... Uh, that's a bit more, um, uh, a bit more, you know, of the reality of the struggle, I guess, uh, and not so Capra-esque in terms of their happy endings. So uh, I was surprised to find that because I did enjoy the movie myself. I thought there were great performances in it. I thought it was consistently entertaining. Um, you know, I guess I didn't spend the time to think more broadly about the social impact of what was being shown on screen and how it could be received in this day and age versus it keeps getting you know keeps getting compared to driving miss daisy which was you know almost 20 years ago now if not more um and how you know we haven't progressed in our storytelling from then as far as the tone and what's being imparted is concerned 
I'm not sure if that's a valid criticism or not. I have to weigh this a bit more in my mind. But uh, I was surprised by the amount of vitriol being directed at the movie. Uh, people not thinking it was authentic or um, controversial enough from one perspective or another. So uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, I was rooting for it and was happy to see it win. But I was also happy to see the Oscars spread around to a whole bunch of other different movies. You know, a little bit of everything got recognized. So there were some nice moments there. There were a couple... Things that didn't sit 100% right, but nothing that I could totally complain about. And the bro the broadcast was relatively painless as well. I did see Roma as well right before the broadcast. And thought the cinematography and film editing in that movie was spectacular. Um, and deserved to win the three awards that it won from that perspective. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a different tone. It's a somber tone. It's a reflecting reflect, tone of reflection. Um, you know, the main character is not very effusive or outgoing, so it's, it's a more internalized uh, conflict that she has, uh, finding her place. And, um, you know, interesting story, though. Good change of pace. I did like it. So still a whole bunch of movies coming up to see, but uh, tops on the list. How to Train Your Dragon 3 just came out to very good reviews. So I'm now, you know, wasn't on my radar screen, but I'm now interested. And of course, Captain Marvel, I think, is two weeks away, coming up really fast. Uh, from a TV perspective, I'm still making my way through the beginnings of season t two of Mr. Robot, which is one of the smarter shows I've seen on TV in a long time and is holding my interest for now. Uh, from a book perspective, I still haven't finished Tokyo's Unfinished Tales. And let's talk about Lotro. Uh, the producer's letter has been in the offering over the uh, last few weeks. They said it would come out before March. And, geez, they waited almost to the last minute. March 24th, I think, when it came out. Lots to talk about in an upcoming beacon. Uh, also, Moria is coming in March to the legendary servers, along with skirmishes. Um... Nothing more than that at this time for the legendary servers, but uh, those should be in some interesting touches, and I am seeing some uh, release notes talking about some updating of uh, graphics and Moria, some textures here and there, modernizing it, uh, kind of just uh, polishing it up a little bit in advance. So I think that's good that some of these old regions are getting some, some polish passes, just a, a little TLC, as it were as they approach, uh, you know, release on the legendary server. So I think that's good. It's good stuff. Um, what has Bragg been doing? Uh, I've been trying to decide whether to work on any of the skirm deeds with Bragg. Bragg has all of his lieutenants, uh, lieutenant uh, deeds completed for skirmishes to get his bring it on um, skirmisher of Middle Earth emote. So I thought if I was going to run a lot of skirms, I'll do it on another character. Uh, since Bragg has all the lieutenant deeds already done. Um, not lieutenants. Uh, obviously, there's still some lieutenant deeds outstanding. But that's uh, because some of them are rare. But um, all the encounters. All the encounters that you, you do for getting skirmisher of Middle-earth. Bragg has those completed. So I figure if I'm going to do a bunch of skirms, I'll pick another character to run through them. Which has been my cappy. But Bragg has done a couple of the... Tier 3s, I was playing with the idea of trying to get through all the skirms on 3T, which, on Tier 3, um, which is a little less effort than doing the assaults deed, uh, but uh, you know, still results in an essence box. I still haven't decided. I'm, I'm doing one every couple days, just enough so that if I make a big push at the end, I can get through it. But some of the T3 Harbingers are tough if you run them solo. <laughs> um, I did one in 
trouble in Tuckboro the other day where I was running solo, ran into a harbinger at the end, and um, it took every trick in the book I had to beat him, which I did. I was proud of it, but you know I had to kite a little bit, I had to run a little bit, I had to hit you know every heel that I had. He kept you know putting the unpotable 20k bleeds on me that some of them do, and uh, you know I've heard. Some people speculate on how to defend that. You know, keep removing corruptions and it'll go away, or keep your distance until it goes away. Whatever the case, I, I haven't seen anything, anybody print if there's a strategy behind trying to avoid those unpotable bleeds, really. I was just trying everything in the book, and uh, eventually they do wear off, apparently. I'm not sure if it was because of something I did or it's just a natural timer that they do have. But uh, yeah, came right down to the wire, but was able to beat him. But then I had a. Uh, Harbinger, I ran standard Amansul in tier 3 and I got all the way to the Cargill, finished him off and then I pulled the Harbinger in and uh, it pulled an encounter that was next to him at the same time and between the two of them they killed me so I came back again and I, I, worked the, I worked the encounter down to try to kill him at least before I died, which I did so I was like, okay, so this third time all I have to get is the Harbinger now and I should be good um, and uh it got kicked out. I got kicked out of the instance. I'd taken too long, I think, after the boss had been completed. <laughs> and at that point, I got kicked out, so I got no credit whatsoever. So so some of the Tier 3 Harbingers are tough to do solo. I think Duo might be the best uh, or the easiest. It's a little less hassle than putting together a Fellowship or Raid group. But, uh, you know, with a little bit of heals and or some additional buffing, etc., it, it makes the Harbingers a lot more realistic. So um, I did have a great... Uh, I did run tier three Harbinger with my captain, um, standard on Sewell, and we pulled the Cargill and an encounter and a uh, Harbinger at the end. It was me and a guard, Cappy and a guard, and uh, we had kind of an epic battle. It took a long time. You know, the Cargill keeps summoning ads, and um, the encounter was all over the place, and we were trying to light the fire so that we keep our buffs up, and I'm running around, and the guard died once, and I rezzed him, and they were chasing me, and I just got him back in time and healed him enough, and anyway, we got through it. It was a fun fight, though, so I've been having some fun with these skirmishes from time to time. They do get tedious, but occasionally you get in a good Donnybrook. Uh, my mini has been pretty quiet. I have yet to heal any new instances with her. You know, it's been doing mostly resource instance runs in the past in, in Warhands. Um, eager to try out how her heals are doing with her allies maxed and and uh, her extra trade points and all that. So looking to do some maybe some T1s uh, in Arid Mithrin soon as a healer if I can find him. So my Cappy's get, been getting the bulk of the work. Uh, working on both the skirmish tier three uh deed as well as the uh daily assault deed where you have to i finally figured out that you can run these uh, for the assault deed credit uh, i think i'm eight of 12 right now because I, I haven't been doing it every day i've been doing it like every other day or when i get a chance or on weekends um you can run these on tier one level 113 which is much faster obviously and still get credit for the assault deed so you still might have to run either three or four skirmishes in a row but at tier one level 113 it's much easier and much faster and uh, you know at this point i love the challenge of tier three on level but it just takes too long to get through these uh assault skirmishes so i've uh, resorted to uh dumbing them down just to get through them 
I have maybe, I think, 15 out of the 19 Harbingers for one of the other deeds, uh, you know, of killing each different type at least once. I've done 17 out of the 19 instances in Tier 3. I think I only have the Deep Way and Breaching the Necromancer's Gate remaining, so looking to tick those off over the next week or so. Um, you know, and again, running Tier 3's uh, solo, which I've done a couple of. I did a Trouble in Tuckborough, and I got the Giant Larva Harbinger. Barely got him on the second try. Tough fight for a yellow cappy. Yellow capling, cappy, normally a very sturdy class. You know, I don't have the be I don't have any raid gear or anything like that. But all, all my stuff is you know 370 to 376 in level, um, either teal or purple. With you know, at least arid mithrin instances, even if they're not gold or whatever the case may be. So, so it was just a tough fight. Um, I did look at my cappy's red line rotation recently uh did a closer look at my build there when i was uh re-specking uh, at one point recently and i noticed that uh you know you put your skills in the rotation you're normally going to use them on your bar and you kind of get into a rhythm from how they're located next to each other and i started looking at some of the some of the red line traits that you get and i noticed that uh that the way i had the skills lined up was not necessarily optimal um for example, uh, your cutting attack skill, I was executing first. Well, if you get to a certain part in your spec, you get uh, a series of buffs. As a matter of fact, four different buffs when you hit your cutting attack on a mob and you're battle readied. But I was hitting that as my first skill when I wasn't battle readied. So I was going through a whole rotation of my skills before coming back to it uh, without that those buffs up and ready that I would have had if I did cutting attack if that had been bowed ready first so I moved my shadows lament skill up to my first attack typically for my red captain which makes me battle ready then I go immediately to cutting attack and my four buffs are up for the whole fight um, then I noticed that uh, grave wound has a uh, mechanic that spreads bleeds after a cutting attack so I made sure Grave Wound was located next to Cutting Attack in my bar. So now I'm going Shadow's Lament, Cutting Attack, Grave Wound. Uh, and there was one other too that was uh, you know, an interaction between skills that I just didn't have sequenced correctly. So I, you know, I reordered my bar so that my natural progression would hit those things in the correct order to kind of maximize my DPS. And it does seem to me that it's punched up my DPS a little bit on my Red Cappy, which is, you know... Anything you can do to punch up DPS on Red Cappy, I will take. I'm hoping when they talk about a Cappy pass, I think they're in good spot as tanks. They could use a little bit of buffing in the blue line for healing. But um, when soloing on landscape, the DPS is painful compared to other classes. And uh, that's where I'm hoping that we'll get uh, a little bit of Sakur. So... What else? I did one last run of Ministerial Dailies with my Cappy to produce nine Scrolls of Empowerment, which I sent along to my LM. And the reason I ran them on my Cappy was because he needed just a bit more rep to get celebrated status for Defenders of Ministerial, which is worth 50, uh, 50 Lutro points. 50 LP not to be sneezed at. So. Uh, I think that's three characters I have that are all celebrated in Minas Tirith now, and if I continue scroll runs, uh, I'll do so with my LM moving forward to try to see if I can get him there over time. My lore master is also level 120, my fourth level 120 tune. He completed the Iron Hills very efficiently, I might add. Uh, you know, fourth time through, kind of had the pattern down and uh, was smarter about the order in which I did quests. 
Um, DPS and the Loremaster, I would say, seems pretty strong. Uh, I would think when they're talking about uh, nerfing some of these oh crap skills, the lightning, the Loremaster's lightning storm in Redline might be one of those skills that they're talking about. You know, maybe I should keep my mouth shut, but lightning storm seems to kill any five mobs um, on the landscape that are like under 150k in health instantly <laughs> so you know i can't use it every time you know if i'm moving through the landscape the way the mobs are spaced i can't use it every attack it's usually like every other attack but if i can come up on a group of you know three four five guys sitting there and just hit the lightning storm bang you're done <laughs> and uh although i love it as a lore master it's a lot of fun to come down and bring the pain <laughs> a uh i gotta say it's probably you know Probably a little OP, and maybe you should look to do two-thirds of the morale of the mob just so that you still have some cleanup work to do after it's been hit, uh, unless it crits or something like that. But it's uh, it's pretty nice. And um, also with the latest class trait points I got for the lore master, uh, I able, was able to get the fifth point into the ancient craft skill, which uh, basically does bonus damage on lightning skills for any creatures that you hit it with ancient craft. So ancient craft can be applied to... I think it's five plus mobs. I think it's five. Um, and if you then hit them with the lightning storm, even on top of the lightning storm damage, it'll add like another 11 or 12k worth of damage now from the ancient craft buff. Well, so it's even better than it was before, which is great. Uh, Lore Master is next in line for Minas Tirith Dailies. He is the fourth tune to complete the state of the expedition and open up the resource instances. So I now have four tunes in Scarhold that can also trade uh, Marks of the Longbeards for a uh, thousand embers each week apiece. So that's as long as I keep up the Marks of the Longbeards across all those tunes, I think you need 25 of them. So nothing to sneeze at, but two or three insurance run, uh, maybe a one or two resource instance runs with uh, you know the 10 bonus tokens for the extra pebble quest. Um, and you've got 25 for the week, and then between four tunes, you get 4,000 embers, which is enough for a piece of gear week in, week out, without even having to do additional uh, things on top of that. So that does help uh, as far as gearing is concerned. Um, my LMI upgraded to 370 purple jewelry and one to two purple armor pieces. Most of his stuff is between level 355 and 370 right now. So I need to save some tokens for him so he can get his teal, the two tail pieces that you can get using Marks of Longbeards. So I'll be working him on resources soon. But I have not been doing that as much because there's uh, other stuff going on. Primarily the Skirmel event. My Berg is sitting at level 117 and is idle. My Hunter also at level 117. I think I'm, I can't remember if I mentioned last time, but he finally completed Celebrated with the Hosts of the West uh, with uh, additional questing in, in uh, Northern Athelion, which bring brought with it 50 Lotro points, Steed of Alessar, an Essence Box, and uh, enough extra Camp of the Host uh, stuff to buy a Tomb of the Well-Supplied Hound, which I sent along to my main brag. So basically the... The awesome dog mascot, Faroth, but with a bunch of uh, packs and, and bags hanging off his back, uh, which is kind of cute. And I didn't see anything else uh, wonderful that I could spend tokens on in the camp of the host, although I have a, a bunch of stuff built up. So, you know, that's a little disappointing. I think that 
lends itself to a discussion I'll have a little bit later about what to do with some of the older currencies filling up your barter wallet in the game. Bjorning, 108, nothing. Champ, 71, nothing. RK, 60, sitting, doing nothing. Warden, 43, nerp. My high elf warden is at level 20, still parked for level 20 scrims and or great barrel runs. And over on the legendary server of Anor, uh, Brag, my guard, is still sitting at level 24. I've, has done nothing recently, but recently a lot of activity with my captain, Broheim who has uh, made his way through all of Evendim at this point. Uh, rocked the Gwaradane in the northwest of Evendim. Um, spent a few evenings emptying the quest log in Evendim, which has been a lot of fun. Got through all the Entish stuff, all the giant stuff, all the twisted root, um, you know, wood troll stuff. And uh, reached level 40, which meant I could go buy my class books and begin collecting pages, which I uh, have now done. Uh, cleared all of even them basically, maybe three evenings of play, and um, you know didn't outlevel the region. I mean, I just basically got on top of the level curve at the end as I was going through a Numenos and was ahead at that point, which made it a lot easier. But even with a Cappy, I've been kind of going through the landscape content with a hot knife through butter. I think maybe I've died. I don't know, two or three times on my captain since since I made him on the new server. Like in all of my time. I think one time I ran into, I was in a Numinous, I, I was running away from some stuff and I ran into a Gorge here who's a full fellowship boss and uh, he plus like three other guys uh, got and killed me before I could run away or hit no crap button. But uh, it's been it's been pretty rare. I mean, captain's been very hardy on the landscape, even in, in the red line. Um... So that hasn't been too challenging, but it has been fun to run through the content and do so at a fairly fairly decent clip, especially even for a Cappy. So Cappy's been following the um, legendary server. You know, I'm making a push to try to, since they made the announcement, Moria's coming out in March. I've been making a push to try to catch up so I can get in some level 50 runs before everyone runs for Moria. Because as soon as the Moria comes out, there's going to be no more Karn Doom or Rift or Urugarth or even Helagrod stuff. So I do want to get up there and get some of those under my belt. Get some of the deeds out of the way that you get from running those instances as well uh, before Moria opens if possible. I'm at level 44 now, so I do think if I keep at it, I will get there. Uh, depending on what happens over the next two, three weeks. Um, but uh, I'm... Made my way to the Misty Mountains to continue the epic quest line through Gloin and uh, Gimli's exploits in the Misty Mountains. And, uh, you know, trolling through the goblin camps up there and the dower hand camps as you do through some of the quests in the Misties. Um, so I did basically majority of the quests on the western side of the mountains. And, um, you know, was able to get major you know all of the pages from the bottom half of the deeds from there. And then now I've been through up at Oghair. You may hear from the music. Hanging with my man Cranog in Oghair. And have been basically working my way through western, uh, western Angmar. Uh, collecting my Fem gear, which I've just about completed. Uh, just opened up the line of death in the Ramas Deluan, which is exciting. And uh, after I'm done with this podcast, I'm going to go talk to my man, Cranog, and go do me some Clue Clath. It's time to fight the Clue Clath. It's kind of like, it's time for the feud. You know, like the family feud. They bring out the guys, Richard Dawson and so forth. So it kind of feel like it's time for Clue Clath. 
Um, so I'll be moving my way through Angmar, and I think there'll be plenty of quests in there to get myself up to level pretty darn soon um, in that area. You know, the last thing on my list would be kind of to work my way through the epic down into a region. Uh, region's a good a good region for questing, but I'd rather go play in Angmar right now since it's where all the action is. And that's what's been going on with Brohim. He's gotten a, a bunch of class trade points recently from filling out all his pages and uh, making his way up through the level 40s. Just got my kick stamp skill and other stuff. I'm starting to feel more captain-ish. And that's enough of what's been going on in-game. I think we better move on to our next beacon because the hour is getting late. Here we are. You know it. You love it. Aralas. So the best part of the slower quest XP on the legendary servers is that it has allowed me to do more quests in some zones than I have done in a long time. Since the progression generally in zones is largely linear, you know, there's vec you do a bunch of quests in a hub, and then there's a vector to the next hub. You don't, if you're out leveling the content, you don't always get to the end of the line before leveling your way out of the zone um, in the regular server with all the buffs and all the other stuff that you get. And, uh, you know, the legendary server 60% XP has allowed me to do more of the quests in this zone and, and take a bit more time with the storylines and, and do some things I haven't done in a long time. So, one of the things I've done with my captain is I spent a Geez, probably from level, I don't know, 32 all the way through level, I'd say, 42, basically, and even them, a full 10 levels. And uh, since I was spending such a goodly amount of time and even dim and it's been a while since i've done that I, I probably have done this in some other podcast i've done 97 freaking podcasts i've probably done this at some point but i don't remember it so i'm just going to cover it again and if you've heard it before go ahead and stop me but here are my top 10 favorite quests in even dim number 10 or almost like an honorable mention a striking absence of boar uh striking absence of boar is the parchoply quest you get in osferad that sends you in search of his favorite meats. And um, and after 25 minutes, when you find none, you just automatically get credit and go back and talk to him. Um, I will give a shout out to the North Carton Farms instance that came out with the In Your Absence quest line that completed this story years later. Some of the devs were paying attention. There were a couple warthogs in the North Cotton Farms instance that once you uh, killed them, you got a slice of meat. You got to go back to Parchopoli and bestow upon him, finally, his uh, his beloved boar meat. Um, so that was a nice uh, capstone for that as well. So uh, I'll call that honorable mention, and I'll go on to number 10. Uh, missing the meeting. The quest in the Bird and Baby Inn that you're vectored to from dwelling of all places don't forget even dim is not just uh Tenudur and osferad and crossing the eve spires it's also down in dwelling in oatbarton and the bottom of the map and uh if you complete the missing the meeting quest by going to the bird and baby inn to meet the in-game replicas of the inklings uh former colleagues of jrr tolkien you will inherit Ronald Wales pipe. That's why it's one of my favorites because I always try to get Ronald Wales pipe in the game on every character. Uh, number nine, the Crown of the Colossus quest, which sends you up to the top of the uh, crossroads to stand atop the Titan's head and show you a beautiful view out of Anuminas and Lake Evendim. Uh, number nine, or number eight. 
gathering up the sheep. <laughs> Alright, I had to pick one quest out of the North Cotton Farms quest line to represent the most fun that you can have in there. Since together, they're kind of, you know, noteworthy. And I guess my favorite one is probably when you gotta go uh, find all the farm animals wandering around, in this case the sheep. And as you gather a sheep, it kind of trails behind you and uh, you know, eventually you get a good little line of them jumping over fences and through mud pens until you get back to where they're supposed to be uh, bedded down in their little, uh, their little gathering enclosure. Uh, number seven, ancient statuary. Uh, you gain this quest by talking with Robert Dunkey and Ost Farad, but it's where you start to gather the, the pieces of ancient statues um, that have been purloined from the, the ruins uh, of Evendim by the tomb robbers. And uh, first you start finding pieces without really knowing where this is going, but eventually if you follow the storyline and keep going all the way through, uh, they play a very important part in the story, whereas uh, Gwyndeth, you will meet later, asks you to show your, um, I guess, patriotism for even Dim by restoring the statues uh, that uh, stood on the southern part of the island of uh, Tylerunin. And uh, so basically you come full circle with all the pieces that you collect from the different, uh, from the different tomb robbers. Robert Dunkey helps put them together and then they are reestablished upon the island to show your faith and to show your commitment uh, to the Wardens of Anuminas. Quest number six, that which I value most, which is when you go finally go to meet Gwyndeth in, I think it's called Gwyndethrond, the little blue enclave, the little swampy enclave on the southwest shores of the lake that you have to swim all the way across to. Usually I end up taking the boat to the east spires and taking horseback all the way down the shoreline until I reach it. But that last little bit, you got to swim. You can't drop in from the top. Uh, it's it's uh, too hilly. You have to go out into the water and swim around and jump in. And there's some, just something about those caves in there that are calming. I like how she yells at you when you try to kill the little frogs and snakes and stuff too. Uh, number five, the Tomb of Elendil. The landscape instance that should be an instance leading, should be a real instance, which leads to the Blade That Was Broken quest, which is uh, one of the best offshoots coming out of Even Dim. Number four, Rumming's Ridiculous Requests. I'll give a shout out to the Solving the Riddles on Runin quests that has you hopping around the land of the Fire Salamanders trying to open up different chests that answer Humphrey's riddles. Humphrey's dialogue is just hilarious. Um, I, I know a lot of people squip, uh, skip quest texts as they're going through multiple run-throughs of the game, but but Humphrey's, uh, Humphrey's dialogue is definitely worth rereading. Um, it seems to have a lot in common with Rook, not just his looks, but... Uh, yeah, I, I like the character. He's funny. I wouldn't mind seeing him again down the road. Um, you know, maybe he'll come riding in on some fire salamanders to save our butt someday. Number three, Knocking Heads. This is the quest where you go up to the giant's camp in the Eve Spires and you throw stones that hit uh, the giants on watch until they create an argument and they start uh, fighting with each other which allows you to steal one of their lucky stones. The dialogue, again, in this quest is hilarious, where the one guy's like, Hey, use the guy that's trying to make me all mad-like and stuff by throwing rocks. And uh, other other great uh, lines of that, of that ilk. Um, it's rather funny. And that also leads to the next quest in the chain, which is an unpleasant meal. This is where you sneak into the giant's camp and drug their soup. And uh, a number of... Uh, 
giants come over to the uh, to the giant urn right after that, start drinking the soup, and they see armies of imaginary spiders overwhelming them, and they're running around swinging their clubs in the air and hitting the ground, uh, which is also quite amusing. Uh, number one, the Twisted Heart. This is the instance with Longbow, uh, which is your, I believe, your first chance in game to fight alongside an Ent. Not your last chance, but your first chance in game to fight alongside an Ent, which is always exciting, or at least was at the time. And lastly, I'll give a top prize to the Treasure Hunt, uh, which is the quest where you um, search the hidden stones which are located all over around the map and it, it kind of parallels your objectives around the whole map if you do it the right way um each new zone that you go to has new uh stone to find used to be that getting to the top of the guaradane maze in the northwest quarter of uh even dim to get to that final stone marker was a very satisfying endeavor but it took some doing it was a it was very dangerous unless you had a partner now they've just kind of put it right outside the encampment on a hill that you can just run up to. So it's not quite as satisfying as it was, uh, but it is a little easier if you don't want to spend uh, you know, all your time in the Gordang camp. So uh, again, those are my review. That's, I guess it's at 11 or 12 that I named there. My favorite quests in Even Dim. Um, it's a great zone. Uh, as you can see from some of the quests I alluded to, there's a lot of variety there. There's there's some different things that are kind of fun and uh, show a lot of forethought and creativity. Um, you do see the, some of those in other zones of the game, but there are some zones that are a little more kind of by the alphabet playbook. Uh, not quite as fun. Uh, I have a couple honorable mentions I almost forgot. So um, I like Along the Way of Kings, the, the quest for the Sanctity of the Sovereigns, where you have quests in all the former, all the the go that go into the barrows of the great kings of Anuminas. First is a deed to find their different tombs and then to go in each one and, and kind of save them from being robbed or looted or whatever the case may be. So that's that's an interesting quest line. It talks a lot about the history of the uh, kings of Anuminas. Um, so it's got nice history that's blended into it that leads up to the Anuminas city itself. Um, one of my all-time favorite quests, Drowning at the Docks in Anuminas. Something about saving all those poor swimmers out there. Uh, plus, I used to use that area in the day for grinding uh, rep items for the Anubinos area. You could just stand on the dock and have the different groups respawn and run around in a circle, saving the guys again and again. Um, the Thief Taker's Bane instance on Rantost, if you remember that, uh, was always challenging. It's a little easier now than it used to be, but uh, still uh, an instance where you have to run between three different camps and help fight off the raiders as they run on the island was uh, a nice little landscape quest, uh, or instance, I should say. Uh, and then the Titan of Tile Anum. All the way at the end of the, when you're in Anuminos, at the end of the final island fortress of Anuminos, where you go across the bridge of Ariant, uh, and the instances reside, the doors at least, for Hodvalandil and, and uh, Ostalindil instances. There's a giant Gorthrog standing at the end of the gate, kind of like arms crossed, holding giant maces ready to smash you. And, uh, and uh, I, I remember it was a big deal back in the day, getting there for the first time and taking that guy down. Uh, the whole structure of the taking of the control points within Anuminos to allow access between Tierband, Chlorhir, and Gwayland was, uh, you know, an interesting and different mechanic in the game back in the day. One that they spread along to Mordor at a later date with uh, some of the group quests that they had there as well. And uh, 
you know, op owning Tearband opens the gate to the Bridge of Ariant, leading to Tile Anon, and the last marker for the deed for exploring all the different areas in Enumina. So all those things build on top of each other very nicely. And also, in case you didn't know, owning uh, all three of the control points in Enuminus gives the control of Enuminus buff that gives plus 25% rep for all kills in Even Dim. So back in the day, if the players flipped all those, everyone adventuring in Even would get an XP bonus. And uh, that mechanic is still out there, although it's I don't think it's noticed as much by people now. Uh, but I, I always think those kind of giant, you know, intergame interactions uh, are interesting and, and well done and thought out. All right, that's enough about Even Dim. You guys have been there before. It's Everswim. It's still fun. It's got boats. It's got a little bit of everything. Why don't we move on to our next beacon of Min Rimon. The fifth beacon of Min Rimon. And now for the originally weekly sponsor segment, Thick's We Show is brought to you by Anumanem's Chocolate Candies, the delicious chocolate center with the Gothrog flavored shell. Anumanems, melt in your mouth, not in your tomb. It's the candy of kings. So get yourself a bag of Anumanems. All right, six beacon of Callan had. Now the main order of business. You guys have all seen it. It's been out a couple days. Uh, it's been out long enough for seven or eight pages at least of dialogue on the forums with feedback. It's the producer's letter for February of 2018. A look ahead. So I'm going to read some excerpts. I'm not going to read. Well, I'll read most of it. And you've probably heard like five people give their takes on it. So I'm just going to do the same thing. <laughs> Listen, it's portentous enough that uh, I think it's worth worth examining in a bit more detail. So let's let's get into it, shall we? Uh, producer says, Seb, my latest letter to you will focus on our goals for the upcoming year, which is I should mention is now about 17% over. <laughs> Um, this is slightly different than just discussing upcoming content and features, and I hope to give everyone a bit more insight into how we want to improve the game. So while this does provide a roadmap for the year, the following letter focuses more on our goals for the game in 2019. Why focus on goals more than content? Because a goal you can work towards, and you don't actually, you can say, well, I didn't say I would achieve that, I said that was my goal, and I'd do some stuff moving me towards my goal, right? So this is very subtle, but it's interesting wordplay. If they say, you know, in March we're going to come out with uh, this new region, and it's going to have this new system in it, right? That's something that they can be held accountable to. If they have a goal of trying to get classes more equal, then they can say they did that at the end of the year, even if they only did it a little bit, because it's a goal. It's not a it's not a content feature they've committed to. So, you know, okay, maybe it's quibbling, but I do think that's the reason for the way they worded it, the way they did. They're very careful about these things. Um, you know, in other words, worry, worry more about what we want to do, not details about how we will do it, since we don't really know. Okay, back to the actual letter. Story. First, our most important goal for the year is to continue to tell our ongoing story. Uh, I think it's smart for them to focus on this up front, since many players list it as one of the reasons they still play the game in the face of issues with, you know, some aging and broken mechanics. Uh, we are excited to continue the Black Book of Mortar as it winds through Middle-earth and leads players on to our next expansion. The tale will take us to the Vale of Anduin, where we'll explore the history, important events, and secrets of the area. As the year continues, we'll unveil more tales in the Vale and follow the story back towards Mordor to Minas Morgul itself. 
Among the many dangers you'll face will be Shelob herself, as you learn what she's been up to and how she was influencing the future of Middle-earth. So, uh, story's the emphasis, and really here is the bulk of what they're developing in the coming year, that one paragraph. So, it's a little ambiguous, what's the expansion? Is it uh, the Vale of Anduin, or is it Minas Morgul, as it's written here? But I think Cordovan in his stream disambiguated this, saying it was Minas Morgul that was going to be the uh, expansion. Um... Second question, the Vale of Anduin. Uh, when I started looking at that area of the map, the map, the first thing that struck me was, uh, will it include Gundabad? I think Gundabad would be a great capstone kind of danger area and quest hub uh, for the new landmass. Uh, so I'm hoping it does reach all the way up into the northern reaches of the mountains into Gundabad. That would take it from an okay expansion to one that was uh, pretty exciting in my book. So what else do we've got? We've got Grimbjorn's house. We've got the Carrick. We've got uh, the Eagles, Airy, perhaps. And, uh, you know, I think besides that, the biggest thing is, um, you know, the linkages that you'll hopefully get between Lorien and Mirkwood and Arid Mithrin and, uh, you know, the Northern Kingdoms and maybe even Goblin Town, I'm hoping. That would be really cool if you could come out the far side of Goblin Town, although they, they might have to figure out a mechanic to prevent uh, underleveled folks from making that jump. Uh, and lastly, is Minas Borgel big enough to be an expansion alone? So I've, I saw some comments on this. I think it could be. When you think about the fact that it's supposed to be the sister city to Minas Tirith, uh, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be quite as big as Minas Tirith, but Minas Tirith is a major, ma well, it's the biggest structure in of any kind in the game outside of Moria. Uh, and, uh, you know, if they developed Minas Morgul to that extent... Uh, that would be a lot of area to explore, especially if it was occupied, as I'm sure it will be, with lots of interesting ghoulies and ghosties. So that could be a tremendously giant dungeon to have to penetrate, uh, which could be quite interesting. Um, you've also got, don't forget, the complex of, uh, you know, potentially a significant complex of caves for Kirith Ungol and Shelob's brood connecting through, uh, you know, into... Uh, uh, into, you know, penetrating into mortar up there. So, uh, there was one other comment on the, on the forums I thought was interesting. One person was mentioning, is it really big enough for an expansion? Well, maybe if they include Nern. So I'm not going to rule that out. I think that is a possibility if it is an expansion that they could expand Mordor further south, including areas of Nern, um, and weave that into the story as well. Um, yeah, I think they've got enough story to handle without doing that, but it's definitely a possibility. Uh, I, I could see it, you know, based on some of the stories that we learned. You know, we met some characters from Nern and some refugees, and and uh, if so, that could be, you know, an interesting possibility just to keep in mind. All right, secondly, challenge leads us to our second goal for the year, continuing to balance the challenge of the game. The question of game difficulty has split our players, with some expressing concern over the difficulty mortar, others loving the increased challenge. Yeah, it probably is evenly split. I've seen comments on both sides. You know, there's the elitists who think everything is easy in a face roll, and there's people that really ground their teeth about getting into Mordor, needing gear for it to get easier, but, you know, needing it to get easier to get the gear and kind of running into that gear check at level, you know, 106, 107. So, um,. You know, I could see both sides of that story. So they said, while well, we wanted more to be a scary place, we heard your feedback about how difficult it could be for the next expansion. Our goal is to balance the main storyline with the rest of the game's content. So, you know, I would say 
some areas of mortar were very tough, especially when you got into the uh, little encampments where you had to find the, you know, the relic chests of Mordor, right? Where all the groups were linked together and there were multiple groups at the top of some structure you had to penetrate to get there as part of the dailies. You know, those were tough, uh, but those were optional, right? You didn't have to do those if you didn't want the deed uh, in, in most cases. So they were definitely skippable. Um, so I think that's a good balance if you have some areas of the map that are harder to get into for for players that want to be challenged. You know, if you're requiring players to get in, like, you know, penetrating Nairband or whatever the case may be as part of the story, that's a different thing. You know, but if you've got an area in the Great River region where, you know, you can put three-man groups together to try to penetrate that area because it's really hard to solo, um, you know, or is a challenge to do solo, or like they did in Dol Amroth um, with the little with a little area in the center of the game map there where would require groups to go in, you know, to do dailies. I think that's a good compromise. Um, instead, they are looking to introduce optional challenge of the game and some instance content by extending difficulty tiers up to four or even higher. Players can test their skill with these higher instance tiers and earn increased rewards. Okay. Um, Solo 3, 6, and 12 character content have extra tiers for difficulty, tier 4, tier 5, or even higher. This will allow players looking for more challenge to opt into it. So I would say this is one of the worst received points of emphasis in the entire producer's letter. In the forum pages that I read, there were a couple different complaints. Um, one that I'll talk about at the end, but the other one was that we don't need more tiers. We need... Uh, you know, a lot of people want tier two challenge back. Um, what they want is tiers two and three to have different mechanics, not just be mobs with more morale and that do more damage, right? So it takes longer to get through, uh, but has like basically the same rewards, but have different mechanics in tier two and tier three, which require more group coordination or more creativity or a little better gear to weather through, but not just more mobs to slog through that have higher morale so you know making tier one into tier two by changing one million morale mobs into three million morale mobs that just take an extra minute each one to kill is really boring and is really wearing people out so there were a lot of people complaining you know look get tiers one two and three right and we won't need tiers four five and six you're gonna have to spend time balancing tiers four five and six deriving loot tables for tiers four five and six you know it's more likely just to get things buggy and to slow down development of solid tiers one two and three with new mechanics i know it's easier just to heap more morale and damage on a mob but uh, you know what what people really want is variety in the mechanics that are in the instances um and i, I do have to say i think some of the older instances were a little better at this and we're starting to get into instances in Mordor and the Northern Kingdoms and Arid Mithrin that, you know, don't work on upper tiers or have mechanics problems that, uh, you know, never quite got around. I mean, one of the immediate examples that comes to mind is Nairband. There's a reason nobody runs Nairband. <laughs> you know, is that so hard to fix? Can't we go in there and correct that? It could be a fun six-man six if, uh, if they fixed some issues with the final second and third boss battles and and made it a little more mentally challenging, a little less frustrating when it bugs out or for whatever else happens. So, um, you know, harder to do, but more valued by the players is, uh, you know, the feedback that they're getting. Hopefully, they'll take some of this to heart based on the 
the outcry that I've heard regarding it. And uh, I would say what we need is better rewards for existing level challenges to make it worth trying to do tier two and tier three. Um, you know, if it's marginally better than tier one, then no one's going to do it. It's just not worth trying. It's not worth the extra aggravation or the chance of failing if the rewards aren't there to merit it. All right, 64-bit client. This is a, hopefully a bright spot. We are testing our 64-bit Windows client, updating our codes and environments can make better use of graphics memory. Uh, we hope to have a client in beta as early as March. So I think they're careful again and again to say, look, you guys, we've been waiting. This is not a unicorn, right? This is not going to fix lag for everyone everywhere ever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to speed up some portions of the game uh, and hopefully make, you know, mitigate some issues with things like crashing in Minas Tirith when you're trying to load all the different structures that are in the town that a lot of people run into. So I think it's going to help in certain areas and certain spots and allow them to do some some things with the graphics engine and make it supportable going forward, of course, which would be valuable. So so hopefully people aren't uh, overreading what what that could be, but I am excited for what it is and uh, hopeful that it will you know allow them to modernize some portions of the engine moving forward to take advantage of newer graphics cards. Uh, class balance. With the use and updates to Minstrel and with an update to Burglar on the way, many classes will receive their initial balance pass. And Runekeeper and Captain are next on the list, apparently. But they continue to say their strategy going forward is hopefully to do a variety of different tweaks rather than a whole class overhaul so that they can address everybody at once. After this initial pass, they'll go back and do tweaks across all the different classes, you know, and uh, basically... It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's a journey, and it will continue to be. Um, but I do hear people complaining about, look, your initial pass was done, but you still didn't fix the fact that my champion DPS isn't enough to get me into a raid, or my burglar uh, debuffs got nerfed to the point where I'm not required in a raid, or captain heals are not where they need to be in order to be able to do, um, you know, be side healers even in tier two raid content um what are the other ones uh wardens of course wardens don't feel that there is any demand for wardens as tanks in the latest instances and in raids based on what's been done with them so you know they did a pass on the wardens and they didn't fix the tanking line and make them desirable so i think for most classes it's about being relevant and being in demand so that you can get called to do content and uh if you have certain lines that are nerfed to the point you know that are central to your role uh not allowing you to do that then you know then let's stop tweaking everything else and go back and get some of those core things right and there's uh, quite a bit of vitriol about some of that on the forums, as you might imagine. Uh, one of the more unexpected and interesting developments is they say one of their goals for the expansion is to add a robust update to crafting. So this is not something that uh, I think people knew was coming necessarily. But, um, you know, they say their goal is to make crafting exciting, fun, and uh, have, give the ability to make powerful items. Although the system has been updated as players have leveled, we want to make crafting changes that are even more significant and interesting and give players a way to create better gear as a supplement to other content. Uh, we want players to have ways to interact with the crafting system as they play through the content without making crafting a requirement to play through the story. So the biggest complaints in the forums about crafting is that, yes, they put recipes in that made crafting relevant, 
but they gated the materials required for that crafting behind raid content in a lot of cases, like needing three rhymes of the anvil to make some kind of teal piece, uh, or needing dwarrow marks, which require 100 marks of long beards in order to craft teal gear, uh, or requiring 50 um, thornholt branches or boards in order to make one flute. <laughs> one flute for your minstrel. That's a lot of wood for one flute. So, you know, that doesn't make sense. The last one doesn't bother me as much, but it does seem kind of excessive um, and unnecessary. So I, I think players are thinking crafting would be fun if I could just take normal crafting stuff once I had guild rep and, you know, maybe with a shard make something that's meaningful and not having to get, you know, tier th two or three raid content in order to be able to get the piece that you need in order to, you know, build something that's relevant. So, you know, I don't need an uber, uber, uber piece of gear, but maybe I can craft something that's as good as I can find on landscape or that is as good as I can grind through dailies. Uh, with a reasonable amount of effort. So we'll see what they mean. Uh, you know, I think there's lots of potential for things they could do with crafting to make it interesting again. And, uh, you know, they've done some of those things in the past. Uh, it's just bringing the right level together and uh, making it, getting the balance of work versus reward right in that area. Probably uh, one of the most interesting points to me, uh, they've been looking into an update to the virtue system to make it more relevant. And the idea is that instead of earning a point of virtue uh, for completing a deed, you might earn virtue points, which then you can build into a tree. So you can use to level up different virtues. You can steer the points into things that you have slotted or maybe work on off content. Um, the, this is an interesting concept. I don't have anything against it in general. One of the things I found most interesting was they said, you know, they even were considering making non-slotted virtues have some at least mild benefit, right? So if you have your five primary virtues, maybe they count 100%, but everything else you have leveled, maybe I'm just making this up, maybe it would count like five or 10% towards your stats, you know, for whatever is in there. That would be interesting for me because I think there's, I don't know, like 30 virtues to pick from and the majority, at least on my main character, the majority of my virtues are stacked up past level 30 and we're only using level 20 on them. So so I would think I have quite a few points to spend, at least on my main. And if you got passive bonuses from um, all the other virtues that you have, uh, that could potentially be, um, you know, potentially be a significant, uh, you know, a significant piece for characters that you have a lot of deeds ticked off at like I do on my main. Uh, of course, you know, then people look at it, you know, maybe they're just introducing another grind, right? And everyone in order to be raid will be required to have like all their passive virtues up to level 20 or 30 or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm hoping it's obviously optional and not counted into what's needed for raid play, but they need to take into consideration that a lot of people will grind those things and, uh, you know, be, you know, people were already asking, could you bring back the ability to, um, to inspect a person's virtues and see if they've leveled those. So that's already pointing to the fact that people may use it as a gear check for instances, which is, you know, not exciting. <laughs> um, you know, of course they have the, the difficulty of figuring out for people that have earned virtues already, how do you get points for what you've earned? And, um, you know, if they scale it so that you get fewer points lower on, but like later on you need a lot more points to like getting your virtue to, 
10 or 11 might you know only be a thousand virtue points but but by the time you get it up to level 20 it might require a couple thousand to, to move up a level right so so then all deeds are not equal and deeds that from the later zones would play a lot more points potentially uh, which could make sense, but they have to think through all those implementation issues if they don't want to screw this up and, and piss people off, which they probably will at the end of the day anyway. Okay, next, kinships. We're looking into more ways for kinships to advance, new rewards for kins to earn as a group. We like the idea of small and large kins advancing, earning cosmetic rewards for their housing, allowing kin leaders to occasionally activate buffs that the entire kinship can enjoy. Would cost less for smaller kins without compromising the value of maintaining large kinships if that's what players prefer. So there's tons that can be done with kinships. I've seen you know things done in other games that would be fun, especially working together as groups towards projects by you know everybody chipping in you know certain marks or points to to move along a goal or objective. I've already seen people asking for another tier of officer within the game so you can have like, you know, primary officers and, uh, you know, junior officers that might have uh, less privileges or whatever the case may be. So I think that would be good for the game too. And, uh, you know, the, the complaint I heard is, well, I'm the last member. I have a big kin, but, you know, 90% of it's inactive. So if I want to be considered a smaller kin in terms of how I'm being evaluated for progress against some of these objectives, do I have to purge all my member lists? Uh, in which case, if those people ever come back to the game, they'll, they won't have the kin to rejoin at that point in time. So that's another implementation issue which gets, uh, gets convoluted when a game's been around this long that they might have to consider. For grouping, we want to provide a new instance grouping feature that resembles the existing quest grouping tab on the social panel. We'll allow you to add up to five instances with class and level requirement criteria and possibly others. Goal is to replace the grouping functionality of the instance finder and lessen the need to send frequent LFF chat requests. So, okay, so it sounds like it's a more versatile instance finder where you can have multiple things you're willing to join depending on you know what you want to do. But I tell you, when the Instance Finder came out, people actually used it when they gave a little mark and medallion bonus to doing the instances through the Instance Finder. As soon as they took that away, they dropped it like a stone. <laughs> uh, because there is a negative. The negative is that you get a random group and you don't get to look at the gear of the people joining and figure out if you know you have a chance to succeed as the group leader. Right? And the fact that someone gets randomly appointed group leader and hopefully someone knows the instance, right? Normally, the person that's in the LFS is the one that's con confident enough in the strategy. You know, not always. <laughs> there are some loop-de-loops out there that'll start anything and go, okay, somebody else run it. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, you know, most of the time, if someone starts an instance, they understand and can provide at least basic instructions to others regarding how the instance is supposed to run. And you don't necessarily have that when you join an instance panel. So, so it'll be interesting. I, I think it is a question of introducing incentives if you really want people to use it, uh, as opposed to going through LFF because of those other challenges. Uh, I'm willing to be open-minded and give it a try, but at the end of the day, I don't think anything's going to change. So that might just be some wasted development effort. We will see. Uh, legendary server, amidst all this, we want to make improvements to the game as the players in the legendary server march forward and we unlock new content in those servers. Players can expect to visit Moria in the near future. Here's another point where players were mad. We knew it was March already. Couldn't they at least kind of narrow it down? Uh, we will continue to update the legendary servers throughout the rest of the year. 
So again, my question is, will legendary servers act as a catalyst to look at old bugs and systems like the skirmish system as they are included or prompt region refinement as another example like they did, they're doing with textures in Moria as things are rolled out? If so, I think that's, uh, you know, potentially a, a good way to do it. Um, you know, we're moving every four months to a new major zone and they could just kind of tick those off one by one in order as the game develops and do some polish on each one as, as it comes to the fro. So I think that's positive in general. Um, you know, again, the only thing people are mad about legendary servers is that we didn't have a bit more detail, but it does look like uh, we'll be getting skirmish systems in. We have a busy year ahead of us, and we are excited to continue our journey with all of you. Thank you for reading, and thank you for playing The Lord of the Rings Online, signed Sev. So here's my general feedback on the producer's letter. Um, so two things where people were mad about. First of all was, as I mentioned, um, additional instance challenge with multiple tiers. Uh, that was soundly rebutted as something the players were interested in at least by the vocal majority. And then the second piece was everybody and their sister came out and said, what the heck is going on with legendary items? Imbued legendary item revamp is something you've been talking about for months and it's not even mentioned in the letter as a focus. It's not even a goal for 2019. So this was a sore miscalculation on my part that they didn't even mention this. It shows a level of tone deafness to perhaps the biggest complaint that the players have about the game at this point in time uh, which is the fact that um, that it takes several hundred scrolls of empowerment and li and uh, Amphala starlet crystals to get a weapon up to the point where it's ready for tier 3 rating so you know getting through that grind even once with your main character is huge having to do it on multiple alts or for multiple sets of legendary items as the most serious raiders do is becomes like beyond recognition the fact that they nerfed court of saragos so you couldn't even do quick and easy runs to get them that way leaves uh the, the three instance dailies around Minas Tirith as the quickest way to generate scrolls of empowerment in the game and people are running those ad nauseum to the, the point where they are sick of them and look, the, the answer to this is so easy. Make <laughs> You can either change the system to make it, you know, maybe a scroll of empowerment doesn't just give one level tier on a specific legacy. Maybe it levels all the legacies by one at the same time. Uh, that would make it a reasonable grind versus where it is now. You'd be, um, you know, modifying the level of challenge by six, right? Or... You make scrolls from empowerment, my preferred solution, make scrolls from empowerment easier to get. Make them drop. <laughs> you get one in a featured instance. You might you might be in a featured instance from 20 minutes to an hour, and you get one scroll of empowerment out of it. Oh, God. And sometimes not even that. It's random. It's like zero, one, or two. You could get zero. I've gotten zero plenty of times. So frustrating. Uh, run a, you know, run a big battle. You know, have a guarantee of a scroll of empowerment for every platinum medal that you get out of it. Run a skirmish. Have at least one scroll or crystal drop to be rolled on by the group even for each lieutenant or for each encounter or just in the last chest guaranteeing each person one scroll. You're getting marks and medallions and 200 silver and maybe a relic that, that is useless, totally useless. 
There's so many ways to get scrolls into the game, it's ridiculous. Have them drop from warbands. Have uh, vendors of old currencies where you could trade them in. If I have 500 tokens from Minas Tirith or from the uh, Camp of the Hosts or from Mordor or from Gorgoroth, you, even if it's an outlandish um, amount to, to trade in, have the option to trade in for scrolls using those things. It's, it's astounding. I mean, the, the paucity available and the, the tools that they have given you to ramp up and get those done. You know, and maybe you could sit here and say, well, you know, they're optional. You don't have to have those to do tier three rating. You know, the idea is that you're always growing your weapon over time. No one looks at it this way. This is an MMO. The people that play this game want to get the best gear and they want to get into the raids uh, or move to it. And the majority, not everybody, obviously. I'm making a generalization. But in general, everyone wants to polish their weapons up to the max level. They don't look at it as something they can do over the next five years. They look at it as how many runs do I need to do in this next two months to get this done? A hundred? Okay. Let me get started. And then they'll complain, 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 as well they should that it takes too long to get to the end of the rainbow. So you have to know your players. You know your players are going to do that. <laughs> um, you've designed a system which, you know, you've got so much content in this game. Give incentives to run all the different kinds of content. The skirmish event that you came out with recently is a great idea, and it's been fun to get back into skirmishes, but I'm already tired of it because the rewards suck. They suck terribly. If I did the assault, um, that means I've run 12 days of skirms where I've run four skirms. I've run 40 to 50 skirms, and for that I get one essence. One. Let me say that again. 50 skirms, one essence. Yes, it's a good essence. Is it worth 50 skirms? No. People are doing it because they're bored of doing resource runs and Minas Tirith daily, so at least it's something different to do. But the reward for the amount of effort that get in is terrible. And even the cosmetics you offer on the side aren't enough to spend all your coins on anyway. People want stuff, you know, cosmetics are great as an extra. People want stuff that improves their characters. You know, you've made a system. I don't mind that it takes that many scrolls to polish your weapon. It at least gives people something to strive towards. But you've got to drop them for doing different kinds of content. Not one outdated, outleveled piece. Gosh, I, I just can't imagine that they didn't... This is the, the thing I've heard more complaints about from players than anything else over the last couple months. And it, it just it feels like they weren't even aware that this was a concern. They didn't even mention it. They, they didn't say it was a goal. They didn't say it was a focus. They didn't even mention the topic area. And it's the biggest concern on their parents, on their players' plates. So I'm sorry, SSG. I got to give you, a, you know, I'm excited about something in the producer's letter. I'm excited to see the Vale of Anduin. Excited for the fourth year running to do a Shelob raid in Minas Morgul. Uh, virtue stuff, kin stuff, you know, all interesting, good. Uh, but, you know, based on that tone deafness alone, I've got to give this a C minus, if not a D plus, um, as far as, uh, as far as, you know, delivering something the community was interested in. And I know people complain about anything but uh 
you're, you guys are probably tired of hearing me rant. If you read the forums, you, you're already exhausted on this topic. You don't want to hear it anymore. And I know there's tons of players that could care less. You know, as Tommy Oric wrote in, this is not what his game is about, not what he's interested in. So, so for the people that are just looking for a good story and a new region to explore and more Tolkien lore and all those things, hopefully those things will be there for us in 2019. And I am excited about 64-bit client and other things. Um, but coming out with a letter two months late and having scant detail on it versus where it's been there in previous years and totally missing the boat on a couple of the players' biggest concerns um, is a failure, in my opinion, and they need to do better. So hopefully they'll make up for it with Dev uh, Diaries to provide us more detail as the season progresses. But uh, that's my review of the producer's letter. I'd like to know if you agree with me or you think I'm out of my gourd or what your thoughts are. Please write in. I'd love to see your posts on, on my, my webpage or send me notes or tweets. And let me know what you think. But with that, I've gone on long enough. I don't even know if I can post this podcast in so long. Let's go to Halifarian. We ran out of time. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially slamming the door on the 97th episode of Light the Beacons. Just three more episodes to the magic number. Grima has told me he has something special up his sleeves. I don't know what that means, but uh, it's a little scary. And uh, it's hopefully be a party of special magnificence. I would love to hear your plot as feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at braggsonabalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Antwerp. Facebook or Twitter at braggsonabalan or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. Kindly request those iTunes reviews like Palm D'Aire, if perchance you're so inclined. If my comments uh, are incited by yours... I will shake off my dwarven lethargy and try to respond. I hope you laughed, either at or with me, or were outraged like I was. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balan, reminding you that if it ain't Baruch, don't fix it. And, uh, if you find yourselves on episode 97 running out of things to say, uh, don't despair. Like the beacons. And uh, as the great Willy Wonka once said, the suspense is terrible. I hope it will last.